As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterval slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League group stage bows out in style. RB Leipzig and RB CNU for Man United. In Paris, actual decisive action in an incident of racial intolerance. Real Madrid are back and Messi v Ronaldo. A big win for Pirlo in the duel of the peerless. We'll talk about all of that plus the Manchester derby, most shots without scoring and a special flip reverse in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. It's the 10th of December, and we're joined on this uh, foggy morning by uh, Natalie Jedra of ESPN Brazil. Hi, Natalie. Hello. Duncan Alexander of Opta Joe is joining us as well, Duncan. Hello, James. And here from fuming Man United fandom and The Athletic, it's Carl Anker. Ahoy, hoy. Mm. You have a good midweek, Carl? Yeah. Why not? All right, then. <laughs> Why not? Well, there was certainly plenty to enjoy. In the uh, midweek round of action, the final set of matches in the uh, Champions League group stage. To begin, let's have a quick roundup of the midweek headlines. Tuesday saw Juventus throw more fuel on the Barcelona bonfire with a 3-0 win in Catalonia. Ronaldo with a brace and an embrace with Leo Messi as Juve took over top spot. Meanwhile, Lazio booked a last 16 spot for the first time in two decades and in Germany. It's awesome. Man United crashing out at the hands of RB Leipzig. The other Group H game, PSG against Basak Shahir, came to a sudden stop on Tuesday after 14 minutes when the fourth official in Paris was accused of using racist language, saying that one there, the black one, while trying to send off the Turkish side's assistant manager, Pierre Webo. Both teams refused to continue with the game until the officials were substituted. The remaining 76 minutes were played Wednesday, PSG running out 5-1 winners thanks to a Neymar hat-trick and a brace from Kylian Mbappé, his first Champions League goals for a year. Elsewhere on Wednesday, Atalanta won the duel with Ajax to go through from Liverpool's group, while Atletico sealed their place by beating Salzburg, and then there was Group B, where Real and Gladbach, Inter and Shakhtar were all in the hunt for the two places, and which ended with Gladbach getting beaten 2-0 by a resurgent Real Madrid, and then huddling around someone's smartphone to watch Inter rain down chances in the other game. Nil-nil at the final whistle, sending the watching Germans through to the Champions League last 16 for the first time ever alongside Real. The draw for the last 16 is Monday. We'll have the reaction in Tuesday's Totally Football Show Euro edition. Wow. What did you enjoy out of all of that? Duncan, Carl, Natalie. I enjoyed the last 20 minutes of Inter Milan versus Shakhtar. That was real kitchen sink, helter-skelter. 
um, football, sort of seeing the varying careers and talents of Romelu Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez and Christian Eriksen oscillate wildly. So Lukaku accidentally being in the way of Alexis Sanchez header and like, oh, Romelu. Or uh, Christian Eriksen in the last five minutes taking two corners, both of which couldn't get past the first man. Oh, Christian. Um, and just generally Alexis Sanchez being, oh, Alexis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, you're just going, oh, Antonio Conte. Oh, yeah. Inter Milan. It was a thrilling, a thrilling way to end what has often been a very bizarre team in Champions League football. Right. Although it always seems to end that way for Inter. It's the last three seasons they've gone out on the final day when needing a win to progress. What about you, Duncan? Yeah, I back what Carl said. I I had I was dual screening that game and Barnsley Wickham, and mm. uh, at one point there were so many long balls going into the box that my eyes went a bit weird, um, which wasn't helped by the fact that Shakhtar's kit also looked like a goalkeeper's kit. So when you glanced across to that game, it often looked like there were sort of four or five goalkeepers in the inter box, and then you obviously had Handanovic going up numerous times into the Shakhtar box at the end. So it was. It was helter-skelter carnival stuff. Probably the best uh, you can get from a nil-nil. Crikey. Natalie? Yeah, I watched mostly uh, Inter Milan Shakhtar Donetsk because I have to confess, after the 2-0, I completely gave up on, on Real Madrid. But <laughs> uh, on... Uh, it's always interesting to see everything that surrounds Real Madrid before the match, the Sevilla match on the weekend, and now uh, the expectations, the eyes on Zidane, everybody talking about Mauricio Pochettino again, and now they're going to face Atletico Madrid on the weekend for La Liga. So everything that surrounds uh, Real Madrid when they are under pressure is always overwhelming and very interesting and and yeah, that, that that's why I, I had my eye on Real Madrid because mm. you never know when things are gonna go bad. Because now everything's everything's well, but if they lose to Atletico Madrid in a certain way, then they go under pressure uh, for the next stage on the Champions League. Yeah, Real Madrid being Real Madrid, right? Yeah, but all the, I mean, for the moment, it looks like Zidane this week could pretty much solve all of the, the crisis talk by booking the place in the last 16. And then if he gets the win at the weekend over Atletico, well, well, we'll see. On Saturday, there were some really sweet moments midweek, that Ronaldo against Messi uh, clash, which had something riding on it. But I think for most people, it was all about seeing the pair of them on the field together. And, and lovely to see Gigi Buffon back in the mix too. Yeah, always quite nice. Um, it's been quite interesting to see his readjustment to Juventus. And you sort of have to remind yourself that he played for Paris Saint-Germain for a season. Like, oh yeah, why, mm. did he, why did he go in the first place? Um, that was a relatively convincing win for uh, Juventus. They more or less pressed well, looked very organised and two penalties got the job done and Barcelona just continued to look completely at sea. Yeah, and Lionel Messi continues his kind of uh, metamorphosis into late stage Steven Gerrard. He's, you know, he had loads of shots at the weekend but with a really low XG. He had seven shots on target in this game, all of which obviously were repelled by Buffon, but um, he was the only Barca player to have a shot on target and he, he seems to be kind of taking it all on himself because the team is struggling and that never really kind of works. Um, so yeah, it, it, I saw someone point out in one of the questions we had that, you know, getting Barcelona in the right. in the last 16 would be quite attractive for a lot of teams, I think, just because yeah. they're in such a, a sorry state. That red-haired reindeer, is it safe to say that any of the Champions League group winners would be happy to draw Barcelona? Shows how the once mighty have fallen indeed. Well, the other question, I guess, is what's going to happen to Messi? Something we touched on in Tuesday's Euro show. The dream for me, really, would be that somebody signs up both him. Either Juve bring him into Turin so he and Ronaldo can play together with Buffon between the posts, or somebody else does that somewhere else. That would be too nice. So everybody was very much looking forward to another Messi Ronaldo, especially because on the first match in in, in the first round they, they didn't play against each other. Ronaldo couldn't play for COVID. Uh, so, but it I, I thought it was just flat for uh, Messi Ronaldo because everybody's just waiting for the duo and waiting for the individual uh, performance. And things in Barcelona has they, they have been so. Uh, depressing in a way uh, recently that I think that affects even the duel between Messi and Ronaldo so it wasn't as hectic as I I would expect it to be and uh, as it has been in the past few years. All right well speaking of depressing of course you also had Tuesday in the Champions League where the game at the Parc des Princes was suspended after 14 minutes. The positive thing here the fact that we actually got some decisive action 
uh, from the, the two sets of players. Without that, I imagine that we might well be seeing this one kind of quietly filed away by UEFA somewhere. Yes, uh, as James Moore tweeted, um, it'd be really interesting to see what meagre fine UEFA will give to itself. Um, yeah, Tuesday was a thoroughly depressing day, and that's not just because my football team lost, but also because you had the you know continued fallout of some sections of Millwall fans' reaction to the knee, um, some uh, very thinly veiled racism uh, directed towards Paul Pogba, and then when I was trying to do my job, I had to see a match official use some racially charged language to a football player. Credit to Denver Bar for absolutely not taking one step back. I think the image of Denver Bar confronting the fourth official if you ever want to have a go-to image or a go-to example of the complete ineffectualness and complete inability of football's governing body to take football racism seriously there you have it Denver Bar confronting a fourth official after a fourth official very casually refers to his assistant manager as the black one um I am not a la- expert in the Romanian language I a lot of people are, Carl. Apparently, there are a lot of people are, uh, including that of John Barnes, suddenly. Um, I am not an expert in Romanian language. All I am is someone that enjoys common decency and basic human rights and the ability to go about my job without having people refer to me in disparaging terms. And I think this fourth official completely failed on all of those totals. The fact that one fantastic effort from Denver Bar to confront the fourth official. Um, Credit to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, from what I understand, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar and uh, Prisel Kimpembe were very vocal. Uh, I believe Kimpembe were, uh, basically said, he said, what? Get off the field. Um, so there was relatively no hesitation. And yeah, I'm just going to do a big exhale now because this yeah. is what racism in football makes me feel. <sighs> Well, they got rid of the match officials, the entire set. They tried initially to swap out the fourth official with uh, the assistant VAR bloke in the VAR truck parked outside, but uh, the teams weren't having any of that. So they came back on Wednesday, and the remaining 76 minutes saw, as I mentioned, a big win for Paris Saint-Germain with Neymar. Uh, once again, looking an absolute boss, he scored a hat-trick. The first goal was uh, particularly brilliant. Natalie, he's, he's really back in form. Yes, he is. He's he's back in form. Ever since uh, last season, the the final part, except for the Champions League final, which was kind of a letdown, uh, especially because we were expecting that big performance, which never happened. But he's been he's been doing really well. And and I think when this Champions League started, everybody looked at PSG kind of an, in a suspicious way because they, they lost a few players. Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel was complaining a lot about signings and everything. But when you see these individualities making a difference, such as Neymar and such as Mbappé, you see how how much PSG are challengers. And uh, Neymar has been criticized, especially in Brazil, a few times for not being so vocal and not being so involved when discussing racism. So it was really good to see him standing up and, and taking action with the other PSG players as well because he needs to be aware of his size and the size of his actions and his decisions. So it was important for him, for Mbappé, for big players, and it's always important for these big players to have this attitude. So it it, it was good in this sense. It certainly was. Less good, Carl. Man United. Do you want to do this now? Do you want to do this later? Let's do it now. Caught out again by their inability to start games properly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of. It was quite interesting watching the old uh, live ticker. So kick off, let's go, Manchester United. Manchester United have already conceded. Oh, for the love of! I despair with Manchester United. They are not a serious football team. They are a very unserious conglomerate. Um, I think they vaguely make sense on a strategic level in that they vaguely understand that. They're in the middle of a rebuilding process and it'll take time. They make very little sense on a tactical level. Outside, we're going to score counter-attack goals and sometimes get penalties. And on a logistical level, on how long it's going to take Manchester United to become good, I have no idea. It could take years. It could take the better part of a decade. And it's the thrashing about of an institution that is being 
you know, falling to a state of decay because they fail to understand what is cutting edge football and what needs to be done. Leipzig drew against Bayern Munich mm. 3-3 because they started really, really quickly. They flooded midfield, they broke down the left quickly and they got crosses in. That's how they scored against Bayern Munich. Manchester United sort of idly wandered in and went, oh, okay, so we're going to play our very slow and undefined midfield pivot of Scott McTominay and Nemanja Matic and not really understand what's going on. They had next to no game plan other than Bruno Fernandes is going to play balls over the top to Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood and that might be enough. Mm. Yeah. The two goals that they scored were both quite controversial, Duncan. Yeah, the the first one was a penalty which didn't really look like a penalty and the and the second one the second one reminded me of remember the the volleyball scene in, in Top Gun where they're all sort of uh, <laughs> jumping and, uh, and Pogba jumps and it sort of comes down and then goes back up off uh, Maguire's arm um and it felt like the VAR almost said look you know, they need something. I mean, United ended with 15 goals, which is more than 12 of the teams that qualified um, for the hmm. last 16. Um, they're only the sixth team in Champions League history to win three of their first four games in a group and, and not qualify. Um, I mean, we said it last week, you know, that... Uh, no, forget what they did at home to PSG and in this game. If they'd have just won away in Istanbul, they would have they would have got through. And, you know, that game was, was littered with errors as well. And... It's almost, you can hear the despair in Carl's voice there, but do you remember the Daniel in, in Monday's show had to deal with the flip side, which is Man United pulling a result out of... It, it's, it's just endless yin and yang, isn't it? Like I'm sure on Monday they'll have come from behind and won the Manchester derby and everyone will be like, well, maybe. <laughs> maybe they've got a plan and maybe Solskjaer's going to turn it around. So I honestly don't know what to say anymore. It's just endless back and forth. So Yeah, defensively, they looked shaky. All mm-hmm. the time, Juan Bissaka was not in in a, a great evening, or Harry Maguire for that matter. But when the, when we have this kind of performance from Manchester United, I always pay close attention to Bruno Fernandes' reactions because he is always in the edge. He's always so involved. You see the frustration. And I'm not saying that in this crazy season where everybody's tired and everybody has one million games to play that they have to be impeccable every game because it's technically impossible. But the right attitude doesn't require playing perfectly. You ha- you just need to have the right attitude, the Champions League attitude. You're fighting for your life in, in, in Champions League. So you see that in Bruno Fernandes all the time, even when he doesn't play well. I'm not saying he plays well every match, but the right attitude, it's, it's not something that happens all the time with Man United. And it's really hard to, to get my head a- across that. I mean, just to sort of, you know, reiterate how the club have drifted in the last decade. If if they reach the Europa League final this season, which, you know, they might do, um, they'll have played as many Europa League games since Ferguson retired as, as Champions League games, which for a club of United sizes is, is not the where they want to be. Um, so, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, it's the derby this weekend, of course, at Old Trafford, and we'll be touching on that and the other big weekend Premier League stories very shortly. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, well, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. This Saturday, get a completely free £5 bet on Man United v Man City. Paddy Power. On an exclusive new customers must deposit one bet per customer, opt-in required. T's and C's apply, 18plusbegambleaware.org. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Early this Thursday morning uh, came word that legendary Italy striker Paolo Rossi had died. A hero, of course, of the 1982 World Cup for the Azurian symbol, really, of Italian football's resurgence after the Totonero match-fixing scandal of 1980. Rossi was just 64. He had been ill for some time. Known as Pablito in Italy after his starring role for the Azuri in the Argentine World Cup in 1978, his career took a disastrous turn when, in 1980, his club Perugia was caught up in the match-fixing scandal which rocked the Italian game. Two sides, Milan and Lazio, were relegated that year. Five more sides had points docked. Players were arrested by the side of pitches. Rossi, who always protested his innocence, was banned for three years. Now, that was later reduced to two allowing him to return to action just two months before the World Cup in Spain in 82, uh, which Italy began in absolutely disastrous form. They won none of their group games. The selection of Rossi, who looked thin and was clearly lacking match fitness, was a major controversy. It's a blasphemy sending him on the field, said the Gazetta at the time. And that was very much the opinion until the second group stage when Italy met Brazil. Three goals against Brazil, two goals against Poland in the subsequent semi-final and then the opening goal in the final as Italy beat West Germany 3-1. All in all, six goals from seven shots in that tournament. The defining moment there in the Santiago Bernabeu, which he himself described years later in remarkable fashion. He said, I looked at the crowd and my teammates and I felt... Something bitter inside. Time should stop right there. I would never again live a moment like that, never again in all my life, and I could feel it slipping away. There, it was already gone. Remarkable stuff. Anyway, Rossi won the tournament's golden boot and the golden ball, and later that year, the Ballon d'Or, and remained a national treasure in Italy for always. Problems with his knee meant that, indeed, he never did recapture those heights on the field, but he did enjoy a happy and successful life after his retirement, working with state broadcaster Ryra up until his recent illness. Another of the greats uh, thus leaves the field. That Brazil game, uh, Natalie, known as the tragedy of Sarriá, is that, that right in Brazil, the day that football died? Yes, uh, exactly. Many people consider this the saddest day for Brazilian football alongside with Maracanazo. Because even if you weren't born, even it doesn't matter. You know Paulo Rossi, you know his name, you know what happened in 82. Because uh, most Brazilians consider that Brazilian team the best team of all time. You had uh, Falcão, you had Socrates, you had Zico. And every each one of these players, they were at their prime. So uh, Paulo Rossi basically crashed the, the the perfect dream for for Brazilians, and it's uh, he he he's a remarkable name for for every Brazilian. It was big news, obviously, uh, for for the football world and and in Brazil as well. Mm-hmm. One of the all time great World Cup performances that by Italy, and particularly from Paolo Rossi, who remained a really gentle and genuine and very down to earth guy, uh, despite the incredible success and the pivotal role he played in that World Cup, and, uh, well, uh, we salute his memory. Right then, let's move on to the Premier League weekend. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Premier League, everybody, it kicks off on Friday night with Leeds-West Ham. Saturday, you've got Wolves-Villa. Newcastle are back in action on Saturday, hosting West Brom in what is apparently a win-or-walk clash for Baggies manager Slavin Bilic. There's the Manchester Derby. And then Saturday night, Everton-Chelsea Sunday, Saints against Blades, then Palace Spurs, then Fulham-Liverpool, and then a choice of viewing on Sunday evening, Leicester-Brighton or Arsenal-Burnley. Ooh, I wonder which you'll choose. Let's talk first of all about the Manchester derby. Uh, so we've got Ollie's United tail between their legs and with fresh tension around that Paul Pogba. City, meanwhile, having topped their group without breaking sweat and with Aguero back from injury. It's got, as you say, Duncan, a United win written all over it. Yeah, I mean, City can equal their club record of consecutive clean sheets if they don't let any goals in this game. You know, David De Gea's got his lowest ever saves to, to shots ratios recorded in the Premier League, 50%. So basically, have a shot, you've got one and two chances of it going in. But yeah, all those numbers point to City winning. But as we know, the narrative is stronger. And uh, just when we thought 
it was over, they pull you back in and United are going to clearly win. Before we go to Carl again, Natalie, say something about the derby. Yes, well, I think City uh, still needs to show more against big opponents this season because they they beat Arsenal, but they they lost to Leicester, they lost to Spurs, they got a point from Liverpool. There was nothing really impressive against these big teams. And when they won the league two years in a row, of course, they they were not only winning, but they were dominating these big matches. They didn't give a chance to the opponents. And and Pep recently, except for United, because I remember that 3-2 when they could have won the league and and that didn't happen. But uh, Pep recently said that they, they need to improve their finishing and I think that's precisely the case because they have been solid defensively we've been talking about uh, City's defense for a while and they have been solid but up front I think they, they need to to take their opportunities especially against a Manchester United that will be very motivated for, for the derby. Carl, are you worried about the fact that it's Old Trafford? Only three teams have taken fewer points at home this season. Those three teams are Brighton, Fulham and Sheffield United. Yikes. All right. Oh, boy. Uh, something that has been of interest is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's belief that there's no such thing as home or away games behind closed doors. So, obviously, this Manchester is in Tier 3. So, Manchester United will only have one more game in front of a crowd between now and next year, which will be the, the League Cup. Um, you, you almost think playing behind closed doors might help focus the mind a little bit and may spare any blushes and indignities if Manchester United do end up on the receiving end of a hiding. Maybe. Ouch. I'm not too scared about this. Manchester City have more to lose in this game. United are going to be the underdogs. And Manchester United, you can talk about narrative or whatnot or why they start games really, really slowly. Manchester United seem to be a team that don't really have a firm tactical plan, but when they go a goal behind or when when the pressure is on, they, they seem to have a bit of clarity of mind. It stops being a question of, am I good? Is this the good thing? Uh, and just becomes a question of, this is going to be good enough. I need to be good enough for the next half an hour and then I can have my weekend off. So, yeah, I thoroughly expect a Manchester United win based on the narrative. Um, so uh, please come and laugh at me on Monday when they lose 4-0. No one's laughing, Carl. No one's laughing. Where is my director of football? Wow, indeed. You might get a Ralph Ragnick. They keep talking about that. Would you be happy with Ralph Ragnick? That would be, a, it would not happen. It would be a lot of fun. Why wouldn't it happen? Uh, Ralph Ragnick, as I'm sure many podcast listeners and, and some of our guests have, have always talked to and alluded to, is a very particular man uh, and goes about meetings and discussions with a certain confrontational attitude that I don't believe would work quite well within the infrastructure of Manchester United. Be fun sitting him down in a room with Mina Raiola, huh? Oh, fireworks. Who else can't stand this Paul Pogba any, uh, story anymore? Because <laughs> when we're ready to talk about how well he played against West Ham and he scored, and, and when we're ready to talk about him as a player, there goes Mina Raiola to make the headlines completely unnecessary just oh just just stop it you know we we just want to talk about the player we want to talk about a skillful player who has so much to offer and here we are talking about oh whether if he stays or he doesn't stay oh it's right. just so i can't that's what anything. you want to talk about natalie but not what mina <laughs> no. and presumably paul want to talk yes. about mina former pizzaiola presumably knows exactly when to draw his luxurious pasta base out of the oven and serve it piping hot uh, all right, well, I'm sure we'll have loads of opportunities to discuss Paul's future. Will he be in the side? He has looked good in, in recent appearances. Uh, Paul Pogba being benched yeah. for Nemanja Matic, who yeah. was never good enough to be his defensive midfield partner and is one reason why Manchester United have never got the best out of Paul Pogba. And Scott McTominay, a player who I do not know his best attribute, and outside the fact that he is tall and talks a lot, is aberrational in most of my spreadsheets and radars about what his outstanding skills are. Paul Pogba being dropped for those two players is Raiola proving his point in a terrible way, in that sort of, this is why Paul Pogba wants to leave, because he's playing in front of these two players. And the fact that Manchester United had those two players ahead of him is that example of, at a club as dysfunctional as Manchester United, sometimes talent just isn't enough. Sometimes right. you need to have some sort of, aura to you after his goal against West Ham would he have started 
against uh, Leipzig had Raiola not chosen that moment to, in a quite a broad-ranging interview, make those comments about Paul's future. And as such, could we say that Raiola possibly cost Man United their Champions League place? I think Raiola overplayed his hand. So, you know, RB Leipzig are a high, you know, high-pressing football team. They like to dominate in midfield and, and breakaway. Paul Pogba is not a particularly press-resistant midfielder. He can beat one player if you try and press him. If you send two on him, he's a turnover machine. Um, so there are good tactical reasons to not play Paul Pogba in a game like that. And Ali said before the game that it was tactical and we knew about this lineup after West Ham that Pogba would not be starting. I think what's really interesting is that Fred was suspended in that game because Oli was incredibly naive and did not take him off when he was carrying a yellow card. If Fred mm. was available for that game, they would have played Fred and Scott McTominay and it wouldn't be an issue. But the fact that Fred was suspended, it opened up a tiny, tiny gap and the possibility that Pogba might start and then Royola does what Royola always does, which mm. is protect his client and make a noise when things are appropriate. I think what happened now is you had Royola basically do the uh, be a terrible boyfriend so the other person can break up with you first. <laughs> this was this was this was Royola sensing that Manchester United probably weren't going to beat Leipzig and we're probably going to enter the Europa League. So doing what he can to drive down Paul Pogba's asking price so a move can be made. In anything, Royola has done what a good agent should do, which is protect his asset. Absolutely. Uh, you know, for, for all this talk of Man United's problems, they do go into this uh, derby clash with City one point and one place above Pep Guardiola's side. Natalie, what do you think is going to be the situation after Saturday? I think anyway, it will be uh, a big test for Man City's defence, who has been looking solid, but you have uh, quality with Bruno Fernandes and Rashford and, you know, all the, the, the best of Man United. So it will be a test for them. Right, OK. Uh, right, let's move on then. The weekend begins Friday evening with Leeds United against West Ham. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa already naming his starting eleven for this game. You probably saw this at a press conference on Wednesday, which caused a certain amount of fuss, although it's not a huge surprise with him. I, mean, I think probably most people knew more or less how his leads would be lining up. Um, certainly it's not as impressive as, for example, the time when Mourinho did his team before the game, and then also Frank Reichardt's team for the clash between Chelsea and Barcelona. <laughs> uh, I think, as uh, my friend Zitu Madhu uh, said, what's quite interesting is you get the impression that Bielsa does this sort of thing not because he enjoys public performance, but because he has no idea that this is public performance. This is just how he works. Bielsa will give you his lineup on Thursday and has done previously for Leeds until he was informed that was not the done thing in English football. I, I really enjoyed that video clip where sort of the translator explains to him, the question is, are you going to keep West Ham guessing? And the translator explains it to him. Bielsa sort of looks at him with a fiery eye about <laughs> going, no, I'll just tell him. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not bothered. Um, a delight, uh, not just to me and my fantasy football team. <laughs> I always find it amusing how how the lineups here in England uh, there's such a mystery uh, around it because well in in South America of course you have much more access to the training ground you you follow the training sessions almost every day it, it's been changing recently but the rule uh, is that you go to the training ground every day and you watch the match and the headlines is if you don't have the team then mm -hmm. it's a big mystery so that's the news when when you don't have the team there. And here, you, when you have the team, it's it's it makes the headlines. I find it very amusing, actually. But but ultimately, it's a result of the complete historic lack of preparation that English managers used to do. You know, it was like training: who's injured, who's fit. Let's have a five aside. So the only the only opportunity you had for a bit of kind of competitive advantage was keeping the team secret. Whereas go to other countries and they actually prepared for specific opponents, and so you know that was the kind of advantage they got. So yeah, it is as you say, it's kind of kind of cute seeing Bielsa do it. Mm -hmm. Well, West Ham, who are Leeds' opponent this time, let United off the hook last weekend. This time around, they come into a clash with a side uh, lying six places below them in 14th Leeds, but only three points behind, so a win would take Bielsa level with David Moyes' side. But they've not been doing much in the way of winning of late Leeds. Four games without a victory, certainly at Ellen Road. In their last five games in all, they've lost three, scored only four goals and conceded 11 uh, should Leeds United fans be worried? I think this is the battle for 11th at the end of the season. I mean, these teams are going to, neither of them are ever going to be in trouble, I think, at the bottom. Um, they're not going to be consistent enough to, to push for the top eight. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of nice with Bielsa, the kind of darling of 
overseas uh, intelligentsia managers and David Moyes, the kind of, well, David Moyes. So it'd be nice for them to both kind of end up at the same point at the end of the season to kind of prove that there's no right way to, to play right. and manage. Are they the yin and the yang, to borrow your expression, of football management in the Premier League, Duncan? Possibly. I've never seen um, David Moyes sit on a bucket. So, yeah. There you go. Well, there'll be no fans at Ellen Road to witness this historic clash. Uh, there won't be any uh, supporters at Old Trafford either, as Carl was mentioning, but there will be a crowd of some dimension at Everton, Fulham, Southampton, Arsenal and Crystal Palace this weekend. Crystal Palace, where Roy Hodgson's side will be facing league leaders Spurs. I say Crystal Palace, but they are what Thomas Muller would call Crystal goalless. no uh except not goalless, but you take his point. Anyway, nine goals scored in the last two games that Wilfred Zaha has played in. Last one saw Christian Benteke scoring an actual brace. And with fans back at Selhurst Park, which is the kind of ground, I'm feeling, Natalie, where it's going to make a difference. Do you think, maybe, that we could be seeing a massive upset here? Yeah, I'm very curious to see how this match will develop and how Spurs will approach the game because they come from three wins where, where they played like classic Mourinho style, fast counterattacks, not having much of the ball, and they have to dictate more the game against Crystal Palace, uh, So, which they already did actually this season against other opponents. But it, it seems like one million years ago because we've been talking about this Mourinho style and Spurs winning matches like this. So I'm very curious to see how how Crystal Palace will approach the match and how Spurs, if they will have this attitude of dictating the game and also uh, squad rotation because Mourinho has been rotating the players really well in Europa League and Premier League, but they will have Liverpool three days later. Mm. So is it going to affect this, his lineup for Sunday? Maybe, maybe not, but because uh, the players are more kind of rested if you compare to other other Premier League teams. Uh, many of them are, are used to December schedule, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also curious to see the lineup. Just it occurred to me that obviously these are the two teams that are most reliant on a single kind of unit to, to score and create their goals. Obviously you've got Zahar at, um, at Palace and Kane and Son. It occurred to me that Wilf against Kane and Son sounded like a turf war between Rag and Bowman from the 1920s. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I think this actually could be a chance for Gareth Bale to get a start and maybe do something. All right. OK. Well, that'll be worth watching. Meantime, Sunday night, as we mentioned, we're faced with a stark choice. On the one hand, Leicester against Brighton. On the other, Arsenal-Burnley. Massive rubbernecking potential there. Arsenal beaten by Spurs, of course, last weekend. Can they beat the Clarets? Which one are you going to watch and why, Natalie, Duncan, Carl? Leicester versus Brighton. Okay. Uh, I am a card-carrying member of the Brighton are a good team, actually, hmm. um, club. <laughs> they are, uh, you know, on the line numbers all look vaguely positive. Um, they, Graham Potter's created a really good team with aspirations to get into football, you know, the Premier League's middle class. Leicester are really really hard test for what can be a sometimes naive Brighton team so I think if if Brighton really want to have a, a great sort of declaration of their quality Sunday would be a good way to do it Fulham won at the King Power of course Leicester lost four of their last six Premier League matches there Brighton though have only had two victories in their opening 11 games and only managed two shots on target in two Premier League meetings with Leicester last season hmm all right. What about you, Duncan? What are you opting for? I'll probably go for Arsenal Burnley just because um, I want to see how how deep this malaise can go at yeah. Arsenal. Um, you know, if they lose this match, it'll be the first time they've lost four home games in a row since Valium was invented, which etc. etc. Um, and it's the lowest they've gone into a game at this point in the season since 1983. Um, but they've got an incredibly good record, home record against Burnley. They always beat Burnley, so. Th- this is a real kind of bellwether. If they if they don't beat Burnley at home, they are in proper big trouble, I think. But I expect them to, to actually pull something out of the bag here. Maybe even have a couple of shots. Yeah, about Arsenal-Burnley, I think Leicester-Brighton has more, more of a chance of being an exciting match uh, because I like uh, the style both teams play. But I think I'm going to go with Arsenal-Burnley mm. because... Um, 
we've been talking about what a good job Arteta's been doing, and I completely agree with this. And I think it is too early to put pressure on Arteta, but I want to see how he will manage to find solutions for Arsenal, uh, because he he managed to to solve the defensive problems, and he was always very realistic that this was a long way, changes needed time, but the the offensive problems are very clear. He needs to find a way for the team to play that doesn't show so much this lack of edge in the final third. They don't have a creative midfielder. We know that. Well, they have Ozil, but let's let's not go into that. And but <laughs> and, and not sure if they will buy one uh, midfielder in January, but they need to find a way of playing that doesn't make this so clear. Oh, we don't have a creative midfielder. Either he turns a player into a creative midfielder or he finds a way that doesn't make clear that, that Arsenal can create where Arsenal can create chances and it doesn't make clear that he doesn't have this creative midfielder. So I really want to see how Arsenal will evolve hmm. uh, and develop this season. More crosses. That's what it would be. We had 33 <laughs> and 32 in the last two game weeks. Hasn't been enough, but more crosses. Natalie, quick question. Uh, have you spoken to David Luiz at all after that awful incident between him and Raul Jimenez? Yeah, I tried speaking to his staff, but he's been quiet. We have no news from him. I, I know he recently had his first child, so he pr he's probably taking this time to, to be more with, with his family. But no no news from David Luiz, no. Pumping in loads of crosses against Sean Dyche's Burnley. I'm sure this will go well. Yeah. Well, you're coming around, aren't you, Carl? You're going to abandon Leicester Brighton and tune in. <laughs> it's hard to ignore that one. Anyway, two top choices earlier on Sunday afternoon, Liverpool, who are level with Spurs currently on top of the Premier League table on points, will be visiting Fulham, who are just one point above the drop. And this clash gives us a chance for a very special what if. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Thanks, Blazing Squad. Yes, time... Listener to flip reverse your parameters of reality with a sliding doors moment like no other. Back in 2012, Liverpool manager Brendan Rodgers wanted to get his hands on Fulham's Clint Dempsey. Mm. In return, he offered the cottagers Jordan Henderson. Now, eight years later, Henderson has lifted Liverpool's first ever Premier League trophy. But what if the move had gone through? Duncan, flip reverse this. Yeah, I, I put all those parameters into a machine and this is what the machine came out with. So, Henderson moves to Fulham in summer 2012. Right. Um, Manchester United start that season um, with a defeat at Everton in real life and in, in this parameter. Um, and then they lose to Fulham in their second game with Henderson absolutely running the show at Old Trafford. An angry Alex Ferguson makes a remark about the way um, Henderson has run in the game. You know, the, the, he later on went to talk about that, um, which the media picks up on and starts calling Gategate. Um, but the defeat heralds a really bad autumn for United, even with Robin van Persie in their team. And they really struggle to make an impact in the title race. Um, and Ferguson ends up resigning at Christmas in a fury. Um, meanwhile, Dempsey has moved to Liverpool and yeah, it starts well enough, but he gets quite badly injured by someone, you know, maybe Ryan Shawcross in the autumn, um, and has to return to America to recuperate. Anyway, one night he's in a bar in New York, he bumps into Pep Guardiola, who's on his sabbatical there, um, and over an evening of fusion jazz or something, he convinces the Spaniard to come and manage Liverpool when he returns to Europe. Um, obviously, in real life, he, he goes to Bayern. United hear about this scheme, um, and are angry. They want Pep as well um, to replace uh, Ferguson, who's obviously now they've now got Ryan Giggs as a caretaker. Um, and in scenes reminiscent of Green Street 2, uh, representatives of Liverpool United meet somewhere in a desert to fight it out, and the winner gets to appoint Guardiola. Liverpool win that fight um, and are able to appoint Pep in summer 2013. He's, um, it was revealed that the bit of paper in Brendan's envelope actually said fight for Pep, but that might have been made up by the club afterwards. Um, a wound. <laughs> 
a wounded United offer Jurgen Klopp the uh, United job, but he right. only agrees if he can sign the man yeah. he's been really impressed with. He calls him Hendo, who's the star of Fulham's top six finish the previous season. But Ferguson, now operating behind the scenes, is really angry about that and goes public with his view that it's unwise because of the way he runs, which now leads to a new storm called Gate, Gate, Gate. Um, Klopp sort of backs away from this, stays at Dortmund, <laughs> chooses to just carry on at Dortmund, and United end up appointing David Moyes, and everything reverts back to the, to the normal wow. time for them. Yeah. That's eerily plausible, uh, Duncan. Um, as it you know, in real life, Clint Dempsey did move on from Fulham shortly after that. He went to Spurs. We had a reasonable season, scoring uh, twelve goals in the league, and then he moved back to America, uh, joined Seattle Sounders, had a good couple of campaigns uh, with them, and uh, unfortunately then had to uh, retire after being diagnosed with an irregular heartbeat. Um, so yeah, d- d- would it have made a seismic difference? Do you think? Uh, convincing though, Duncan's. Uh, projection is do you, do you think it would have made a, a seismic difference had henderson joined fulham would we be looking at fulham in an entirely new light right now or would he would it, they have taken him down to their level i think he would have perhaps stopped one of the great fulham malaises that led to uh, a relegation i would have been interested to see how clint dempsey incorporated liverpool references into his uh very interesting rap career mm. but uh, yeah Ed, that, that's very much a move that I think sort of saved Damien Kamala because Henderson's resurgence has now made Kamala come out and go, see, I was right. I'm Having a director of football was a good idea. Um, when does Manchester United arrive, please? We shall see, Carl. We shall see. Let's return to our ordinary world uh, where Fulham are, as I say, just a point off the drop. Uh, Clint's retired. Scott Parker's lost 15 of his last 21 Premier League games. Similarly, Jurgen Klopp has lost 15 of his last ooh, 161 Premier League games, but they're different clubs, different expectations. Fulham, we mentioned before, they won against Leicester. Could they pull off something similar here, Natalie? Yeah, they they come from a very tough sequence. You know, Leicester, City and now Liverpool. Everybody thought that uh, City would trash Fulham. And they, they it was too new and I think they... they, they they took well the 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 result. Uh, let's see if Mitrovic will be involved in the match because um, it's three matches in a row that he hasn't started, and two of those matches were against the, these big opponents, which makes us think that maybe his characteristics are not in the best like the best alternative in this kind of matches. In Scott Parker's view, uh, he was uh, the main goal scorer last season for Fulham, but uh, you know at the end of the season he he was left out a few games and. Uh, I understand Scott Parker in a way, but he may be a good alternative like for second half when you're playing against Liverpool. And regarding Liverpool, they, they have reached the level of style of play that is remarkable because they lost so many top players for injury or COVID and, and kept the results. And not only the results, they kept the identity, especially when you see these young players featuring. Like when you have so many changes in the lineup and the team plays more or less in the same way, not talking only about the results, but the style and, and the, the personality that, that the team shows as a whole. It's really outstanding. I think Klopp is very, very pleased with that. Mm. Liverpool looking absolutely masterful against Wolves last weekend with that 4-0 win. Midweek, they had a 1-1 draw away at Michelin, but the game was a dead rubber. Chelsea, moving on to them, also had a 1-1 draw Midweek, that one against Krasnodar in a similarly inconsequential game for them. Chelsea this weekend, once again, have the late Saturday slot. They're going to be away at Everton, who've only won one of their last seven matches and drew 1-1 with Burnley last time. Uh, There's a lot of excitement over Billy Gilmore, who returned to the Chelsea eleven midweek against the Russian side. Andrew Lang saying, are there any stats to back up the recent surge of Gilmania? which appears to be sweeping the nation once more following his man-of-the-match performance against Krasnodar. Looking at you, Oli Saylor. Um, well, he had those games when he first broke into the team where he really controlled midfield and, and ended up with you know, sort of past completion rates of 98 97%, which is, which is good. But that was a Chelsea team that were really struggling a bit. And um, I mean... We've said it before, you know, Chelsea's squad is possibly the, the, the best in the Premier League. And uh, adding... Billy Gilmore to the bench only only makes it stronger. Um, but I mean, for me, this game is the battle of kind of two 
men, stylish men, who've reinvigorated the big man up front role, you know, Olivier Giroud um, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, I'd like to see them both go to New York Fashion Week um, when it comes back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think the def- defensively, Everton have got, if you take out the three promoted teams, Everton have got the worst XG conceded this season and Chelsea have got the best. Um, and I think that, you know, we all know that defences is what wins you leagues and gets you success. And I think Everton's, you know, fade from the top is, you know, not going to abate anytime soon. Well, a couple more games to tell you about from this weekend. A big one at St James's Park. Newcastle taking on West Brom. Newcastle, of course, missed the last round of action because of that outbreak of COVID at their training ground. This game has been mentioned. There are whispers that this is the last chance for Slavin Bilic as the Baggies' boss. They've only had one win in their 11 matches so far. They have the worst defence in the division. It feels as if West Brom are doing the West Brom yo-yo method. Um, Slavin Bilic brings with him a, a sort of innate chaotic excitement to his teams that, that will always give up a degree of goals. But their performance against Crystal Palace was so... Uh, it felt like an abdication of responsibility after the red card. There was absolutely no attempt to, to sort of hunker down. And if you're losing 5-1... To, to Crystal Palace, I imagine your manager is going to begin to feel the burn just a little bit. So I would not be surprised if uh, Southern Village is no longer West Bromwich Albion manager. At least, if he's still the manager in January, I'll be quite surprised. Okay. Also this weekend, Southampton taking on Sheffield United. National League side Yeovil were victorious on Tuesday night. Why is that relevant, Duncan? Because along with um, Sheffield United, they were the next highest senior side in English football that hadn't won a game this season. So the pressure's on. The Blades now the only team in England yet to win a league game. Chances of that changing down at Saints? Not not good, says Carl Anker with a shake of his head. Natalie? Yeah, no, not good. Southampton, they've been looking really good and... You, I, I'm. If if I were a Sheffield United fan, I, I would only be waiting for the transfer window in January because mm-hmm. it's the only perspective that I I actually see of things really changing. Because well, it's it's been a while now. It's been 10, 12 rounds now, and yeah, we don't see much of a perspective. So yeah, very unfortunate. Those same inside sources who who say that. West Brom's clash away at Newcastle could be decisive for Slavin Bilic. Say that Chris Wilder is absolutely ironclad at Sheffield United, that there's no way he's going to be at risk any time soon. Uh, also, this weekend, Saturday, 12.30, there's a Midlands derby for you. Wolves taking on Aston Villa, which is a key game in many ways, not least for the most shots without scoring stats race, which is one of my particular uh, favourites every season. We've seen some great contenders over the years. Tom Ince, you recall, McGoldrick last season. Do you know who the all-time champ is for most shots, most attempts at goal without scoring in the Premier League? I know Hjoiberg had a very bad 2019-2020. Right. Um, so I'll put his name forward. I mean, officially, this should be called the Stuart Downing Award because in 2011-12, when he moved to Liverpool, he not only had the most shots without scoring, but he had the most chances created without an assist, which is, that is... <laughs> That's the double. Well, Opta, I think, have uh, Bolton's JJ Okocha uh, down, but w- what do they know? We're referring back to the 2003 <laughs> 4 season. Yeah, he had 136 shots um, what? without scoring. Yeah. That is Which, absurd. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> The next best, no player has had more than 85 shots in a single Premier League season without scoring since. I mean, 85 is still pretty phenomenal. But you've got to remember, if you go back to that era, this is the era when players had a lot of pot shots from long range. It was pre-XG. You know, they didn't understand you know, that it, it was pointless shooting from long range. So a lot of... you know, JJ Kocha would often have shots from you know, near the corner flag and just do a drag back and just and hit it. So it was a, it was a different time. <laughs> Current leader, put that in perspective, is Aston Villa's Trezeguet, who's had 22 this season without scoring. Mm. Not sure if he's got the stuff to go all the way, do you think? Funnily enough, second on this list is Wolves' Ruben Neves, who's got 17 so far, and they're facing each other. And do you know what? They both scored in this exact fixture last season. It's Oof. a funny old game. But do you know the third, the third leg on the tripod of shame is the most fouls without being booked? And who's leading that this season? 
also Trezeguet. So if no he can way. just start, so he's on for a on for a classic season. <laughs> wow, so much narrative at um, Molyneux as Wolves take on Aston Villa Saturday lunchtime. And Villa will have 12 days to train because they had their match postponed, which is a luxury at this season. So, so very Christmassy. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So I, I don't know if it, how, how much of an effect this will have on the match, but yeah, it's a very 12 good days. point. Mm. All right. Well, many many questions then about this Premier League weekend. That is one of them, and we'll have some answers to them by the time we get. Tony Football Show back on Monday morning. In a moment or two, we'll address some of your Twitter questions. But before we get to that, how about some odds and musings and odd musings from Lee Price? Hello, listeners. I'm going to level with you. I'm in a bit of a pickle. One of the marketing lads has just listened to this season's segment for the first time and his head has turned a worrying shade of purple because apparently I haven't referenced Paddy Power enough. Oops. So, will you forgive me if I slip a few in today? Thank you. I knew you would. I paddy power, I promise it'll be seamless. See? I bet you didn't even notice that one. Anyway, it's the Padchester derby this weekend, and United's most divisive player, old PP himself, Paul Pogba, is probably due to drop another pre-match bombshell. Paddy Power make it 16-5 that United drop a bombshell of their own and actually win the game. However, City are odds on, according to the numbers listed on paddypower.com. There's speculation about Mikel Arteta's future at Arsenal, despite the powerful start to his reign. They take on Burnley, who have three players in their squad who might be referred to as Paddy, maybe. Oh, and a little special offer for you here. We have a power price for Friday night. West Ham and Frankfurt, both to win, was 8-1, to one, now 10-1. to one. All the best. Um, Paddy Power? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate. The time of recording is over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, let's see. Big mailbag. What we got in here? Oh, Paul McIntosh says, question for Duncan. I recently rewatched the Maradona Hand of God game and I wondered how Opta would interpret it all. Was Maradona's first goal technically a header? <laughs> that is a good question. It would have caused issues because um, it would have gone down as other body part. Um, which is a, you know, you know, Balotelli saw with his shoulder, which was fine. Players sometimes it comes off their chest or their, or their thigh. So there is a, a legitimate other body part. So it would have had to, had to have gone down as that, or it has gone down as that. But you know, it's always funny when you see, you know, Maradona scoring against England in 1986, um, body part other, and your your eyebrows raise. Nice, Duncan. All right, what else we got in here? Right. Oh, Andre B. Do you think the January window will have millions spent or are we looking at a month of swaps and loans? It's going to be the loan transfer window. Really? Uh, Much like everyone else after Christmas where you've uh, been spending time with family members after months indoors, you're not going to be as uh, monetarily wealthy as you will be. So very much January sales, a lot of loans. I always see a number of free agents like Jack Wilshere and Daniel Sturridge finally get clubs there or thereabouts. Danny Drinkwater will be a good bellwether. Do you think? How this, yeah, I think players like Danny Drinkwater... Quite apt for dry January as well. Yeah, very much so. Natalie, have you got any hot scoops on the uh, January transfer window? It's only three weeks away now. It's going to be the Messi transfer window. Ooh. Because Messi will be six months for uh, before his contract expires. And everybody's going to be talking about it. And Barcelona will not have a, a final word uh, still, because uh, we'll be waiting for the elections. So I think we'll be hearing a lot about Messi's future. We heard PSG already. We heard City. Let's see. Fantastic. Where are you off to this weekend, Natalie? I'll be at the Manchester Derby. Brilliant. Carl, what are you up to? I will be again following the Manchester Derby. All right. Will you be there as well? Can you wave yeah. at each other? <laughs> nice yeah, socially so, distance handshake. Yes, we'll, we'll do the handshake, the social distance handshake, yeah. And what are Wickham up to this weekend, Duncan? They are playing Coventry. And All right. We'll have uh, two thousand fans in the ground. Which uh, will you be going along? Time. I won't be there. No, but um, you don't need to. Now. You can just sit indoors and watch it. Brilliant. <laughs> it's the future. All right then. Well, listener, I'm not sure what your plans are for the weekend, but I hope you have a splendid one. And I know you'll join with me in saying thank you to Natalie, Duncan, and Carl for making this past there so uh, entertaining 
and informative. Totally Football Show will return. Uh, we'll be doing that late Sunday night for you to enjoy on Monday morning. Uh, so uh, do join us for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. He just looked stressed all the time. In esta sala, él es el puto jefe, el puto amo. It got really to the point where they were completely untouchable in the league. Ich bin ein mia san mia. Someone should tell him that if he mentions some Coronation Street episode, something like that, probably he's going to be more more popular. I will be Mancunian for the rest of my life, so I will be Manchester City fan. And yet, there's there's something that it just feels like there's something missing a little bit. I'm Ian McIntosh, and this is Beyond the Headline. Over the next two episodes, we'll take a look back on moments from Guardiola's coaching past and see what they might tell us about his coaching future. We'll ponder what another two years of Pep's Man City might look like and wonder whether everyone involved might come to regret it. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or Get it ad-free via The Athletic. Muddy Knees Media.